Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 21 of Rocking Realities, featuring John Schubert, the drummer of the bands Candy, the Electric Angels, and the Loveless. John told us so many amazing and funny stories about all of these bands, so I know you're going to enjoy this interview. If you want to know more about us and what we are up to, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and of course, Don't forget to subscribe to the channel so you won't miss any new episodes. But for now, enjoy the show. So how are you doing? Good morning or good no, good evening to you, I suppose. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's evening here, yes. Just skip the whole afternoon. Um, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> so did you really wake up at 4.30 this morning? I, I did. I, I, I get up very early to, uh, to uh, get ready for my classroom, although this week I don't have class, so uh, it's just habit. But I, I really like, so it's the, my favorite time of day, actually. It just There's just no, no noise. It's dead quiet. Um, I live out in the country. It's dead quiet. I just listen to music and the news and catch up with the world. And then by the time I have to head over to school uh, around 7.30, 7.45, I'm already fully awake and and then the kids are all asleep but you know that's <laughs> at least one of us is awake. Yeah. I mean like 4:30 that's around the time we used to come home. <laughs> well, when I was your age, yeah, that was, that was too but uh, I'm I'm a different person now so uh, uh, especially in Los Angeles back in the 80s when when Electric Angels were first getting started there was this club One time we played, we didn't even go on until 2.30 in the morning. It was just so bizarre. And then you get out of the club and you go have breakfast somewhere. It was beautiful. I, I loved it. But, you know, <laughs> I was also a much younger person. So. Yeah. Uh, so uh, how do you become a musician? Uh, what got you into music? I, I had older brothers, three who, again, I'm talking the late 60s, um, were always playing music and uh, just records and stuff like that. And I probably, I saw the Beatles in A Hard Day's Night on television. Um, and I just thought, well, that looks like fun, you know? So uh, it just seemed like a great job. And, and I was always sort of drawn to the drums anyway. I didn't really get a drum or any kind of a drum until I was probably in... Uh, sixth or seventh grade but I was always banging on everything around the house that I could so eventually my parents just finally just said okay we'll, we'll get you the drum so um but it was it was it I have to say it was it was the Beatles for sure and I remember yeah. really upset and asking my brother probably in 1970 why did they break up I don't understand like they seem to be doing so well but you know now I understand how complicated it is to be in a band and all the different things that happen. Uh, so I, I, I didn't understand them breaking up, but you know. Uh, yeah. So um, was Candy the first band you played in or was that band before that? Uh, the bands that I was in before were, um, they were just little local bands in the town I lived in. And we were just doing like whatever songs were on the radio 
we would just play at dances for kids and stuff like that. Um, they're pretty awful, I have to say. Um, <laughs> not the kids, the band. Uh, we were just covering whatever the songs at the time were. And, uh, you know, we made a little money doing it, but we, it wasn't going to go anywhere. You're, you're just a top 40 band, as they call them. Um, I got into a band probably when I was about just right around 21. And it was only for like, literally like two months. We played one gig and then we broke up. But it was two of the guys in the band would eventually go on to start the band called Love Hate. So, um, you know, we were, we were all just knocking around our little town trying to figure things out. And then later on, I got into candy and later on they start this band called Love Hate. Um, completely different directions, but you know, for this one little bit of time, we were all in a band together. It was a pretty awful band as well, but um, Candy was just a lucky accident, really. Um, a friend of mine, still my best friend to this day, um, I met this guy at a record store and he had just moved out from the East Coast and he was looking to find a band in Los Angeles. And uh, uh, he came to the record store where I was working at and was asking, well, you know, how do you find bands around here? I go, go to Los Angeles, go up to Los Angeles, about 25 miles away, go to Los Angeles, because anything that's happening is going to be there. So a couple weeks later, he calls me up and tells me that he found a, a bass player and a singer looking for a guitar player and a drummer. And so we answered the ad and it turned out to be my future bandmate, Jonathan. Um, and uh, the, that, the band that we did didn't do anything, but Jonathan and I stuck together and eventually about six months later, got Candy launched in the October of 81. So this was earlier in 1981. I still remember all these dates because I remember being, I remember John Lennon had just been killed. So, and then I met this guy and then I got into this band that was eventually going to become Candy. So it's all sort of just still stuck in my head in this little time sequence, you know? Um, and then from, from, from there, Candy, uh, we just played Los Angeles for about the next six or seven years or something like that. And Candy kind of turned into the Electric Angels and the Electric Angels turned into the Loveless. And so at the end of the day, I ended up being in a band with Jonathan for 15 years, you know, so a long time. Yeah, I didn't know that Candy already started in 81 because I only kind of know the stories that Roxy tells. So And he yeah. starts from the point when he joined the band. So I kind of know, okay, I thought that band probably started like 85 and I think Roxy joined in 86. I didn't know that it was already been for six years when he joined. Yeah, we had already, we've been around for, um, we were, we, we were a properly functioning band for about a little over four years. And we went through every single thing you can do in the club scene in Los Angeles. Candy did it. I mean, we played with all these metal bands that went on to become really successful. Like one of our early gigs was was opening up for Rat, which, you know, we're all still club bands. Everybody's a club band. Um, we played with uh, uh, a band called Black and Blue. We played with a, a band called um, Great White. You know, they're they're kind of known for something else now. <laughs> um, but we played with all these different bands. I mean, we were there in the clubs when Guns and Roses was getting going. Uh, when LA Guns was getting going, I still remember going to a club and seeing Jane's Addiction and just like having my mind blown. The Red Hot Chili Peppers were still playing in the clubs. All these bands were playing in clubs. And so Candy just went through like all of this with them. And then, you know, eventually everybody starts getting a record deal and 
we just kind of keep flopping around going, all right, when's our turn, you know? And then it finally comes and it doesn't really turn out to be as magic. I mean, it's great because for me, I was like going, okay, now I'm like Ringo. I'm playing drums on a stage and I have a piece of plastic in my hands that has my music on it. But all the things that happen after that are just, it can be kind of disheartening. The record company kind of just looks at you like the way you look at a can of soup on the shelves. They just go, there's other cans of soup on the shelves and we like this flavor now more, you know? So it's just, you, you finally work and work and work and then you get that record out. And then all the business that goes with it, you find out how much they really just see you as product. And if you're not selling, they're not interested in you any longer. So uh, that was a real, that was a rude awakening. Just a, and, and then, you know, we had a brand new record out and we wanted to go out on the road and they're just like, yeah, I don't know. So we ended up getting some tours, but uh, we only made enough money basically to get us a hotel room and gasoline to get the next show. So um, here we are promoting our record and uh, nobody, none of the kids in the audience can find it in a store. <laughs> so you're like, well, our record company's not doing their job, you know? And the singer just eventually got, um, he just got tired of it all and he, he left. And then, then we got Roxy. Um, and, and the candy with Roxy, we candy too, if you will, was really <laughs> fun. We, we played a lot of shows. We, he was a, he was a much more fun person to be in a band with, you know, that Roxy's always, Roxy's always got a good attitude. He's always smiling. Yeah. Everything's good. Never complains. So the last little bit of candy with him was fun, but at the same time, we could see that the the, the, the scene around LA was changing a lot and, and we weren't really the, what everybody was looking for now. So we, we soldiered on for a little while until we finally just said, all right, time to shift gears. And then we got a new singer and just became the electric angels like overnight. So. <laughs> so I was wondering because Ryan always says that um, he joined Candy because somebody told him he had the same hairstyle as all of you. <laughs> so you kind of fit together. Is that true? Uh, well, I mean, he, we, we knew who he was from the clubs. We'd seen the band that he was in and he stood out as a guitar player. I mean, clearly you're, you can look at the other guitar players you've seen and you kind of go, this guy's really good. You know, um, you know, he had black hair. So, and it stuck up real big. So yeah. Okay. You're, you're easy, but we tried a few people, but it just, just didn't work. And then we sort of had a hard time finding a singer until Gilby just said, I'll sing, you know, and it's like, all right. But, uh, you know, it, it took a little while for us to sort of find our way because Candy with, with our previous singer, Kyle, had, had just been such a club thing for so long and everybody knew who Candy was. And then suddenly you're, you're, you're without the person who is the voice of Candy. So that's kind of a hard thing to have to change. Um, but we did what we could and we just kept riding it out and kept riding it out and, and hoping something would happen. But when it was clear that nothing was going to happen, we just decided to regroup and we happened to meet Shane around the same time and, and Electric Angels was just ready to go, really. So. so was that the reason why you changed the name? I mean, it's almost the same members except for Shane. So was that kind of the reason why you changed that name? Uh, well, we just wanted to like throw candy off our back you know i mean the the name wasn't going to get us anywhere anymore we tried getting a, a second record deal uh nobody was interested and and you know they're going to look at you and they go didn't you have a 
record out on Mercury and, and it didn't do anything, they're going to go, why would we put money in view now? Um, so getting rid of the candy name was just basically um, just sort of like a snake shedding its skin. We got fresh new start. Plus Shane was like, I don't want anything to do with that. We are us. We're something new and let's do this. But <laughs> What he didn't know is that Electric Angels is the name of an old candy song. So <laughs> <laughs> we, we did we did have a we did have a little card up our sleeves because uh, there we we did have a song very early on called Electric Angels about a about a little gang of guys running around. So there we are. we have a name already. So, uh, but we didn't tell our singer. We didn't tell Shane. It's an old candy song. But did, did still, he ever find out? Oh, probably eventually, but. <laughs> He was concerned about. I mean, nobody really knew it because we 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 had, we had only made a tape of it. I don't even know if we ever even played it a show with it. So nobody was thinking, uh, "Oh, this is just more candy stuff." It it was just a, a forgotten song that never really got any any play. So uh, uh, yeah, it, but it sounded right for the band, and it sort of fit in with all the other things that were going on in Los Angeles around the time everybody was the something this or the something that so we are the electric angels you know the name doesn't really make any sense but whatever <laughs> you know it works good on a logo so <laughs> yeah that's important if it looks good on a logo it's a good name and if can people can remember it it's a good name it doesn't have to make sense well, and, and and i i, I what, what your band is flying spoon or something yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good logo. I, I really like it. <laughs> it's great. So yeah, it's again, the logo's there. You got it. That's half the thing, you know. Well, thanks because he was the one who came up with the name, and I was the one who came up with the logo. So yeah. thanks. Oh, I, no, I like it. It's, really, it's it looks really great, and I, I saw I see that you have like merchandise to it. So so yeah, you could get out there and sell some merchandise. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, we'll do that. I think isn't Shane actually still selling Electric Angels merchandise? I uh, I think so, but you know what it is? It's just those things online where you basically can print anything onto anything. You know what I mean? So yeah, uh, he doesn't have like some warehouse full of Shane or <laughs> bedspreads or something like that. It's just all that stuff now is uh, it's just you order it and and they put that image on whatever you want, a coffee mug. Um, a tablecloth, a curtains, whatever, like, so um, I wish they'd had that stuff when, when we were out because we never really had, we never had merchandise, candy or electric angels. We did for like a week. And then once we sold like all 20 shirts, that was kind of it, you know, but, uh, but, uh, you know, we did all this without merchandise. We did it all without having websites. We did it all without having social media. And it's just kind of mind boggling how different our lives or our band could have been had we actually had social media or just even a way to have um, people stream our music somewhere else around the world. I mean, we just didn't have any of that stuff then. So, uh, but you know, that's just part of the story, I guess, you know, when people came to our show, they were actually watching us. They weren't holding up their phones or something like that. So. <laughs> Uh, there's, we, we also, that also means we hardly have any video of us ever playing live either. So, yeah, but there's so. someone, uh, I think of the electric angels or someone YouTube of you guys playing live. Yeah, there's only, but there's only a couple, there's only a couple things out there. And one of them, uh, let me ask you, does it look like it, does it look like at the club has nobody in it? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, could be. Yes. There's one video out there that 
comes from we we literally had been a band for like a month and we did a show in los angeles and the guy behind the soundboard said you know what i'll videotape your show for 60 bucks if you want i'm, I'm like sure so i gave him 60 bucks and he videotaped them so you might see that online it's really early electric angels um literally there were like 10 people in the club but um that's kind of it that's all we got um anything that anybody took of us after our record came out and after we had moved to New York, I've never seen anything. So um, yeah. sadly, very much stuff, you know, and yeah, candy, but, a couple of, couple of live shots and that's it. So. Yeah. It would be cool if there would were um, more videos, live videos to watch now. I don't think we're going to see anything because back then like video cameras were really big. It was like, it was like, carrying a shoe box around <laughs> massive things to hold a big vhs tape or something like that so you know getting and then it had a microphone sticking out the front so anything <laughs> anything that you see at a show now with a that was taken on a phone is way better than anything that anybody ever took back then because the sound on the stage would have been so loud it would have distorted the mics so a couple of candy shows i have seen that were taped with one of those old machines and we're so loud we're distorting the microphone so it's not really very listenable it's just nice to see us actually moving because you know <laughs> uh, we don't have any of that there's there's none of that left so uh, uh but you know like uh roxy could probably tell you that electric angels is the band that uh took us all to new york which yeah probably the best we did you know we, we finally just said los angeles got to go and we packed up and drove cross country and landed in New York. And when we landed in New York, everything started to seem to work better. I don't know why, but we, we played LA for a solid year and we weren't really getting anywhere. And again, you know, we, this is a brand new band. We can go to all the record labels and say, Hey, we're new. We got tapes. We, you know, what do you want? And stuff like that. And nothing was happening. So after a year, we, we had all kind of made this deal. If we don't have a record deal by the end of 1988, we are going to New York. And a month after 1989 started, we moved to New York. So, uh, and then we had a record deal in like three months. So it all worked out. So whose idea was it to go to New York? Wasn't it like all other bands went from New York to LA, like the other way around? Yes, they did. Um, probably just because everything that anybody was seeing was coming from LA. I mean, literally every band on the LA strip was getting a record deal. I mean, every band you might know, Poison, Warren, all these bands, all the, and, and this is what I'm, these are all the bands that were coming up after Ryan joined Candy. So, you know, here Candy is kind of representing the first half of the eighties and we're starting, we're starting our downward slope. And then Ryan jumped in. <laughs> And so now you have the second half of the 80s, 85 to, to 89. And that's where Chili Peppers, Jane's Addiction, um, Guns N' Roses, LA Guns, Warrant, Poison. That's where all of them start happening. So here we are surfing candy down into the gutter and all the other bands are getting hot and we're kind of like, going, okay, okay. And, you know, time to regroup. And so <laughs> Angels got started, but we were trying to sort of catch up with all this frenzy that was going on on the sunset strip and it just just wasn't really quite happening we were having a good time we were playing a lot of shows but the record companies were kind of like eh, i don't know um and then we went to new york and everything suddenly changed we just sort of seemed like we were something brand new 
And uh, so, yeah, we, we, we moved away from where most of the bands were happening. Plus it's sunny and warm in California. But we went to New York. <laughs> New York is, uh, well, actually we were, all gonna, we were all planning on going to London. We said, we're gonna leave LA and we're gonna move to London. And then we sat down and kind of go, all right, let's see, there's probably green cards and work permits and <laughs> and all this other stuff that everybody's like, yeah, we're not going to get in London, but we can go to New York. So, uh, plus I think New York is just, New York's just, a, to me, to me, New York is a much more real city than Los Angeles. A little bit more, everybody speaks their mind. Everybody tells you what they're thinking. They don't just sit there and dance around it and kind of like LA kind of just kind of keeps patting you on the back going, you're doing great. You know, New York is just like, yeah, I don't get it. I don't like you guys, you know? Okay. Well, at least we know. So um, <laughs> I kind of like that breath of fresh air. And plus if you listen to the electric angels album, it sounds like a, it sounds like it fits New York, a lot of darkness, a lot of frustration, really quite fit Los Angeles, but I think New York is the, is the perfect album for the electric angels to come out of. And I think it only made us a better band and a little bit more <clears throat> on stage, you know, it just gave us that extra push to win crowds over. And, uh, you know, I just think it worked. It just seemed right. And I'm really glad we did it because like New York for me was just a transformative place to live. And uh, I became a completely different person because of my life there. So good idea. I'm glad we made that deal with ourselves in Los Angeles that day in September when we just said, if this doesn't happen, we're out of here. And then we left. We actually didn't chicken out. We actually left. So good for us. <laughs> but um, you did record the album in London, right? Yes. You didn't record yeah. it in New, in New York. So how and, did that uh, come about? Well, the, the producer of the album, Tony Visconti, is, is an old New Yorker. He's a Brooklyn kid. Um, and he moved to London at the end of the 60s. I think you know, in the, in the summer of love, 1967, he packed up and went to London and he started working immediately, meeting people, making records with people. Um, and then he sort of fell into uh, T-Rex and the, the early parts of T-Rex and, and Bowie. Um, and he just started becoming a producer. And once he had a hit with T-Rex, That was it, man. Like then, then, then he could basically start turning work down because, um, you know, he was just he had a hit on his hands, and uh, and T Rex was at the in the early '70s was like it was like Beatlemania for Mark Bolin and T Rex, and he was the guy who was making all that music. He had been with Bowie earlier for a couple of years, and it, it and and then he started doing Mark Bolin and T Rex. And I don't know if Bowie had like a problem with that, but it's kind of like right where they sort of stopped working together for a little while. And then Bowie did Ziggy Stardust. And after that, he used the same producer to do Aladdin Sane and other things like that. So, so Tony was busy doing um, T-Rex and Bowie was doing his thing. And then they sort of came back together in the later in the 70s to do Heroes and uh, Low and um, stuff like that. And then they, he worked with Bowie up until his death. Um, But anyways, Tony had acquired a studio in Soho and he had been making records there for years and years and years. And uh, he married an American woman um, and he was fixing on moving back to New York. So we were actually the last band 
that he had in his studio before he sold it, sold his house and packed up everything and moved back to New York. So, um, you know, we all flew back to New York together. We mixed the album in Times Square. Um, and then after that, Tony was a New Yorker and he's, he's still a New Yorker. So um, we were just lucky to meet a guy who understood us as New Yorkers, but was also an expatriate in, in England for 20 something years and knew his way around there really well. And uh, he showed us a lot of stuff while we were there. We, we were only there for about five weeks, but on our days off, he took us to museums and concerts and out to really nice places to eat. And just he just he just gave us all this culture that we kind of didn't know. So a very, a very educational record as well as making music, you know, so. Um, so um, how much did Tony influence the sound that the album has? Uh, quite a lot, actually. I think he, he made what we were doing um, a little more musical um, and, and in quite a lot of ways, actually. He had really interesting sound ideas and uh, he pulled out a couple of tricks that he used to use. He, he told us this is an old, this is an old Mark Bolin trick. Um, where Ryan would play, um, Ryan would, would put up a, a layer of acoustic guitar under his electric guitar and the acoustic guitar would be, uh, I, I'd have to ask him exactly how this works. because you know, I'm a drummer. So, but, um, what he did was he, he recorded Ryan playing the song on acoustic and then he sped it up just ever so slightly. So it gave the guitar this sort of higher pitched to sound to it. And so Ryan would play these acoustic um, parts underneath the electric and it kind of gave it this nice pad. And you can hear it really well on like um, Love is a Dangerous Drug or something like that. It's just this weird kind of guitar effect. So he didn't want to use, so Tony was really good. He didn't want to use electronics to do that. He wanted to do it organically. So, you know, recording a guitar just like anybody would, but then speeding it up. That's, that's not using pedals and knobs and things like that. That's, that's organic recording. So um, he did that. And then of course he, he was very good at uh, being able to um, write sheet music out. And he wrote out the, all the string parts for um, uh, an eight piece string orchestra that came in and put put string parts behind uh, True Love and Other Fairy Tales and uh, All the Money in the World. Or yeah, I think All the Money, um, which was fantastic. I mean, just these, these, these wonderful guys came in. They were literally in an hour, they were done. They just sat down in their chairs. He turned on the mics, put the sheet music on the stand. They just went eh, like that and they were done. That was it. <laughs> They're so good. You know, they just sight read the whole thing and, and, and that was it. Um, so he, I think what he did was he made our album a little more musical and you can hear things on there that I, I know we didn't come up with. I know Tony came up with. So, uh, I think he, yeah, he made it a better record and, you know, then we were in London and we're going to all these markets like, uh, on the weekend, Portobello road and stuff like that, Camden market, just buying all these new clothes. So we came back from London <laughs> looking a lot different than when we went to London. So, um, it was a, it was a great trip. Short, but it was good. Um, there's also, uh, it was, I have to ask you if that was your idea or Tony's idea as this at the beginning of the drinking song, when you say, I am not taking my pants off. Was that your idea or Tony's idea to leave that on the record? That, that was Tony's idea. That was, um, that was the same day. It was my 30th birthday. 
my 30th birthday. That was the, the, I'll never forget that day. It was in the morning. We had the strings come in and do their parts. And I was just mesmerized because if you just heard the strings in the studio, just the string part only without the band behind it, it was just beautiful. I was just having like George Martin, Beatles, Eleanor Rigby kind of like shivers going on, you know? Um, so in the morning was, um, was the string parts. And in the afternoon, I think we recorded parts of the drinking song. Um, we'd already done the tracks, but I think we were adding the vocals and the background vocals. And um, um, Ryan and I actually went out on the street with a tape recorder, you know, a little handheld tape recorder with a microphone. And we went into a pub and we just recorded like noise in the pub, like glasses clinking and people talking and chairs scraping across the floor. And he put that at the beginning of the drinking song. So it actually sounds like we're in a bar. And, um, and then we found these, these people that were just sitting on the streets singing songs, like old Irish drinking songs. And so we recorded them. And uh, that's what you hear at the beginning of, of, of the song. Um, and then when we were back in the studio, Tony brought in all these friends. So when we sang, I never really loved you, I just drank too much it would sound like a lot of people singing. So it was a big group of people all singing into one microphone. And then some girl starts taking her clothes off because it's my birthday. So he got, one of them was a stripper. I didn't know that. He just said, these are all my friends. Da, 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 da. And then she starts taking her clothes off and she started grinding up on me and stuff like that. She's like, come on, John, take your pants off. And I, I mean, I literally, <laughs> I'm not taking my pants off. So. <laughs> Tape was rolling and, uh, and there it is. <laughs> didn't didn't plan it tony just captured you know and i think that's what a good producer does is you capture something when the people aren't don't know that they're being recorded sometimes it might just be the first time you go through a song before you're ready okay let's do the official one he might say no i was i was rolling that was really good why don't we just keep that one and you're like oh okay so sometimes when it says why don't you run it down once he has the tape going and if it's really good, because you're full of energy, it's the first time you're knocking it out. He might just say, well, before it gets stale, let's keep, let's do the keeper track. And then sometimes we would go back and go, you know what, that was the best one. So he had tape rolling uh, because we were singing the song, of course, but um, then he caught me with her and, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not gonna take my pants <laughs> off of her, like 15 other people, so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was wondering when I first heard the song, I thought, what? But I do, I do like it on the record there. I, 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 I... Yeah. <laughs> actually, I think uh, Ryan also once said that when the record came out, drinking song was actually more popular than Rattlesnake Kisses, even though Rattlesnake Kisses was the single. And you had that video with, uh, what was the actress's name? Christina Applegate. Yeah. And yeah. So he said that even though you had that amazing video, the drinking song was actually more popular. The drinking song was popular on college campuses because a lot of our college <laughs> campuses, I mean, I, I don't know about in Europe, but a lot of college, well, probably every good college campus in America has a radio station because, you know, you're, you first you want to train students how to become who are majoring in broadcasting. So you have a radio station and lots of times the radio stations, um, College radio stations are really good about really having no rules. 
they're, they're, that's kind of the thing because they're usually funded by donations or the school. So if you don't have to have an automobile commercial every three minutes, you can pretty much play whatever you want. So college radio stations are usually pretty open-minded and they'll almost play whatever they want. And a lot of them have, might have a particular angle, like they're the big, big university in Los Angeles, of course, is USC. And USC's radio station is, is a classical music station. And they're probably the only classical music station in Los Angeles. So it's a good station. It reaches a lot of people, uh, but it's actually run by real broadcasters. You don't have students doing that. But like in a few of, of the other campuses in Los Angeles, the, the radio stations are run by students and the programming is just all over the place. So you'll have talk shows, you'll have um, music where they'll, they'll play, you know, like uh, two hours of African music or something like that. And, uh, but we got on to the stations that were playing that might've had a hard rock show, usually on the weekends or something like that. And one of them was right outside of New York city and they just picked up on the drinking song and it just became like the number one fan favorite I mean, it literally went to number one on their radio station and their station had a pretty big signal. So it reached a lot of people, but we were like, oh, well, we were promoting this one over here. And they're going, yeah, that's fine. We, that's okay. <laughs> this one, this is all about us. So, you know, like, all right, whatever works. I mean, you know, um, but yeah, it, it was kind of an unofficial hit on college radio stations, um, which makes sense. It's about drinking. So <laughs> <laughs> You should have made a video for that song. Well, yeah, again, another one of those things that we never got around to doing because once the record finally comes out and then you start to see how the record company is kind of like, uh, you guys aren't really into us, are you? So, uh, yeah, that would have been actually been a great second um, video, I think, had we ever gotten that far, but we never did. Same thing with Candy. I actually think in hindsight, we put the wrong single out at first. Uh, we should have put another one out and made a video for that. And it might, it might have changed who we were, but um, but this is all hindsight. This is all looking back going, yeah, you know what we should have done? Well, when you're in it, it's sort of hard to, to, to see what, what, what's, what's going on. Plus, you don't always really have that decision on your hands. Somebody else might be making it for you. So um, the record business is, is a strange animal. And we were always usually being told what to do more than we were making our own decisions but that's because you're a new band and you you're gonna get pushed around a little bit if we sold six million records we could tell them this is our next single but that wasn't us so we didn't really get to make those decisions um but you planned or actually you planned on recording a second album but it was never released so we why did. was that? Was that also because of the record label or was that um, because you guys broke up before it was released? Um, a little bit of all of it. The record company was, wasn't really doing very well for us. Again, we were, and, and the funny thing is, I probably might've told this story to, to Ryan or, any, or somebody else, but five years after Candy, Because Candy came out in 1985, Angels came out in 1990. So here, me and Jonathan, we, we can look at each other and go, here we, here we go again. It's five years later, we're going out on the road. Uh, you can't find the Angels album in a store. It's like everything was happening exactly the same all over again. And you kind of look at your record company and go, guys, 
we're, we're traveling across the country, playing in virtually every city. If you want us to sell records, make sure the records are in the stores. You know, like we're, we're out here doing all this work to sell albums, to make you money. And then you get to a town and you can't find your records. So um, it's, it's just very perplexing. Like what exact, you might ask yourself, well, what exactly does this record company want out of us? We gave them an album. We're out here promoting it. Do your job. Make, make sure there's records in the stores that people can find. So um, at the end of it, at the end of six months on the road, uh, I think we were all just kind of like going, what do we do next? It doesn't really seem like the, the company really has us in their heart. So we decided to not renew our contract with them. We, we probably were going to get dropped anyway, but this is kind of like saying, we're going to break up with you before you break up with us. So um, we did that, but we had been making demos and stuff like that. And, and plus, you know, Ryan, I, I know full well, Ryan was just seeing people he knows in Los Angeles getting into uh, other bands or being successful. And here he is with us and the second band now going down and he's just kind of like, yeah, I can't do this again. And, and right, right around that time, our old, our old candy mate Gilby had gotten into Guns N' Roses. So Ryan is probably thinking that could have been me, maybe. But um, he went back to Los Angeles and uh, I think he made the right choice. You know, I was sorry to see him go, but I, I, I didn't grudge his decision. I understood his decision because we were all frustrated. Me, I was just kind of like, well, I don't have anything else to do, so I'm not going to quit the band because I don't have anything else to do. But Ryan's a guitar player. He's a good guitar player. He's friendly. He knows a lot of people. He was going to get into something. So I wasn't worried that he wasn't going to go anywhere. I could have been worried about myself, but I wasn't worried about him. He was going to he was going to land on his feet. And uh, obviously, we all know he did. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> I think it wasn't that uh, around the time when the Angels broke up when he started playing with Gilby again? Um, probably a few years later, because Gilby got into Guns N' Roses at the end of 91, and he was with them until sometime in 94, because they went around the world like three times or something like that. But when Gilby got back to got, got back home and he made his first solo album i don't know if he was actually out of guns and roses yet he made he got a you know because he was in guns and roses and at the time guns and roses like was the most popular band in the world i mean hands down literally the most popular band in the world um so he he easily got a solo deal and uh we all played on it jonathan and i played on one song um he had all his other friends play on this song or that song or something like that And then when he was putting a band together, then uh, yeah, he got Ryan to be in that band. And you know what? I actually think, I'm, I'm not exactly sure when, but I think Gilby might have first been offered the Alice Cooper gig. And he didn't take it because I think he thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm just coming out of Guns N' Roses and the world is mine. So, um, you know, he didn't do it. And he, Gilby loves Alice Cooper, don't get me wrong. But for whatever reason, I think he saw like, no, I'm just going to try my own thing here instead of being somebody's side man. So I think Ryan got in then and did it for a long time. Ryan stepped away for a little while and then I think he came back to Alice. I forget, I don't know the exact dates, but um, but I think yeah. Gilby was offered the gig first and he turned it down. 
Um, yeah, I think Gilby was the one who recommended Ryan to Alice or his management. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Well, I think that, so. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, um, so yeah, and he, and he's been off and on doing that ever since. And it's a perfect to me. It's a perfect thing for Roxy. I mean, I know he wants to do his own music when he has the time and you know considering that alice is kind of off the road usually about six months a year i think for ryan and I'm, this is my point of view obviously seems like the perfect gig you get to go out play the world with alice make your money and then have time to pursue the things you want to do so um you know i don't sure i don't know what's 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 actually in ryan's game plan going forward, but uh, I think I think he's done really well with Allison. And you can see it's a great fit. He He's the perfect guy. He, he just has that rock star thing going for him. And uh, I really admire Alice Cooper for actually keeping that band for as long as he has. You know, he could probably get a lot of people to play with, but he just, you know, keeps going out and, uh, you know, calling up his same guys, you know, every time it's like, all right, let's go, let's, let's go around the world, you know, and uh, he knows they're a good band. I've, I've seen them. Um, they just, they, they just work so well together. And I think it would be a bad idea for Alice to actually just say, oh, I'm going to go with some other people because they know him so well and they all have a chemistry and it's just a, it's a great thing for me to see a band that works well together. I love that. I, I always wanted that. And I, I like to see a band that just that it just it's just like a, a great machine it just works so well together and every time i see ryan and 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 alice and all the guys and everything they, they just seem like they they are that perfect machine so um, i hope they can go on for a long time i know the last year has been kind of a drag but i hope they can go on for as long as alice wants to go out on the road so. <laughs> yeah and the fans love that band like the yeah. fans don't just go to the shows because of Alice, because I mean, mainly, yes, but a lot of people also go there because they really love the band. They're great. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, I, I, he's a, he's a fantastic figure. I mean, he's been around so long and yet he's still out there, you know, I mean, there's not a whole lot of those guys that are still out there doing it. Um, but Alice Cooper must have the best stories because I know, I know that Led Zeppelin's first gig in California, or it might've been the whole United States back on their first album, 1968, they opened up for Alice Cooper, I think, at the Whiskey A Go-Go on the Sunset Strip. You know, they opened up for him. He's been around that long, you know, and um, I mean, I don't think there's anybody in the world Alice Cooper has not played a show with. So the man just must have the best stories, you know? Yeah, I would love to talk to Alice sometime and just hear all those stories. If that was possible, maybe someday, maybe <laughs> I have to, maybe sometime I have to ask Ryan, hey, can you get me in touch with, with Alice? <laughs> get me your boss on. <laughs> but so, um, when the Angels broke up, did you, the, the other three of you, did you immediately found the Loveless or was there some, like some break, some pause between that? Uh, that was, that was, that was where things started getting really kind of depressing because it just, we tried a lot of different people to fill Ryan's spot and it just, you just can't do that. Well, I mean, we didn't want anybody to just be Ryan, but we, we tried other people who 
They just didn't have the same work ethic Ryan had. And I have to say this about Candy and the Angels. We worked all the time. When we had a gig, great. But in between gigs, we practiced like almost every other night, you know? So we were constantly rehearsing, constantly rehearsing, constantly rehearsing, just working on new stuff. And Ryan was like that. Gilby was like that. We were all like that. And then to lose Ryan and then try some guitar players who uh, they come to practice late and then they, 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 have a, they have their guitar and they have a bag of food and then they sit down in, in their practice room and they go, well, I'm going to eat my lunch first. And you're like, uh, excuse me, you know, like, like we're here to work, man. And they're, they're just taking their time. And then they're like calling you up. You, you're at their studio going, you know, where is he, man? You get a call and he's like, yeah, I'm not feeling so good today. And you're like, oh, come on. So, so it was just, it was hard to replace somebody who really worked really hard, you know, Roxy with all of us to just get all these slackers to come in, kind of fill a spot. And, and then it, 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 at some point we met, well, there was actually this guy who worked at uh, Sony who uh, we knew where we were doing our demo tapes. And we knew he was a guitar player. We knew he had a band and stuff like that. So we just asked him to sort of come down and play some songs with us or something. And it just, it seemed like a really good fit. He had his own band going on. He kept his own band on the side. Um, but he just played with us whenever we needed to do something. So uh, it took a little while, but then the Loveless kind of came together after we tried and tried all these different guitar players that just weren't working out. We, we finally found this guy and then we became the Loveless and, uh, and that lasted for about two years maybe or something. We made an album on our own, finally, make it on our own. And we sold every single one of them. So, um, but it was, it was, it was getting, everything was getting smaller. I don't think the Loveless Eve ever even played outside of New York City. We just, so I don't really know that we are gonna go anywhere. I'm glad we made the album. I really like the album. It's, sounds like a good album to kind of quit on, you know? Um, and by this time I'm like 33 or 34 or something like that. So, you know, I've been doing this with Jonathan for a very long time and we keep, we keep hitting walls and tripping over all this and all this thing. And I think it was just kind of like, you know what, man, maybe it's just time to hang it up and say, Hey, we did the best we could, you know? Yeah. So, and then life just sort of evolved from there into all these different things. So, um, you know, I'm not sorry it, it, it ended. I, I do miss playing with other people. It's like when you're, especially when you're a drummer, you know, um, it, it, just the idea of going into a room and making a song out of something that was just an idea two hours ago, you know, it's a, that's really satisfying, you know, where you just create something that out of nothing. Um, and then you have a song, you know, it's like, Hey, we did this, you know, um, that's a very satisfying feeling just being in that creative mode with other people and making music, you know? And for me, it was always just about, I just wanted to play in front of people. So I was always happy when we were just playing in front of people, you know, um, records are great, but I just enjoyed playing in front of them. So now I don't have any of that, but you know, we did the best we could. And then as soon as we broke up, the internet happened and then I'm like, all right, so <laughs> <laughs> we could have done a lot with this, but you know, timing is what it is. So we are of another age, I guess you'd say. Yeah. So, um, have you ever thought about doing an Electric Angels reunion, like all four of you getting back together and playing a few shows? 
Um, it would be fun if it's if it was doable. I don't know that it's doable anymore. Um, I don't know. I, I I I should I should probably leave it at that. We're all in different places right now. Um, our skill sets are different. Um, I don't really play drums the way I used to. I'm I play much quieter now. I I mostly listen to jazz and I try to learn how to play it, but I, I can't kind of get the rock and roll out of me. But um, I don't I don't play as hard as I used to in the Angels. And I don't know if Jonathan has picked up a bass in 25 years. I really don't know. So uh, you, we'd have to we'd have to go into the practice room for a month or two and see where we're at. Ryan would come in ready to go because he's on, <laughs> on his guitar all the time. But uh, the other ones, we, he'd, he'd be dragging us out of the pit, you know? So um, I don't know. And I don't know, I don't know if, I don't know if Shane's up for it. I talk to Shane pretty regularly, but I don't know if uh, he hasn't really done much singing over the, over the years. So uh, I don't know if he'd be ready for it either, but it'll be interesting. It's just because, there's people who know about us now that never knew about us then. And I'm, I'm, I'm counting you two as, as some of those people because um, I'm just going to guess you are probably younger than the Electric Angels album. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you know about this through Roxy. Um, my tip my hat to, to Roxy. He's a, he's a great ambassador for music and rock and roll. Um, but you know about it through Roxy. So we are definitely your parents band if you will so uh you know but it would in be interesting to see what it would mean I, I i've come to find out over the years that there are people who really like the electric angels a lot that either didn't know about us when we were around or never had a chance to see us because we didn't come to their town or they might have been only you know 14 at the time or something i couldn't get to a club but, you know, I have a Facebook page for the Electric Angels and we have all these people that are just, you know, they really say nice things about us. And they, they, they say, oh, you were my favorite band. I wish I got to see you. And they're like, yeah, there's actually maybe there's actually an audience out there. But um, I don't know. I, yeah. We'd have to see. Yeah. It took me a really long time to find the record because I really wanted to have the original record and I couldn't find it anywhere. And I always looked it up and sometimes I found a copy and then it was really expensive. So I didn't uh -oh. buy it. But this year, I think it was maybe in January. I think it was at the beginning of the year. And I found a copy that I could actually buy that wasn't as expensive. And I was so happy about it. <laughs> I think I annoyed Vince probably all day. Like, I have this record. <laughs> are, you talking about, are you talking about a vinyl album? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I think it's the original one, yes. Well, there, there only were whatever ones were made at the time. That's yeah. it. They, they never reprinted or anything like that. So if you have a vinyl one, then you have a, you have a thirty-year-old record. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, it's funny. There, I, I remember walking down the street once in New York. They used to have all these record stores that are probably closed now, um, or went out of business because record stores kind of do that. But um, I was just walking down the sidewalk, and they, they sometimes they have these bins out in front on the sidewalk. And I'm just walking past going, an Electric Angels album. All right, let me go in and buy it. You know, it's just sitting right there on the front for 99 cents or something like that. And I said, well, if it's there, I have to buy it because I can't let it sit here and be orphaned. 
Um, but you know, in a, in a way, it was kind of like seeing because your record isn't even inside the store; it's out on the sidewalk where if it gets stolen, that the shop owners aren't even going to care. You know, so I'm like, oh yeah, that that kind of sums up my musical career right there. I'm not even inside the store. I'm out on the sidewalk where if somebody nicks it, they don't even care, you know? So uh, I, I took it off their hands for a dollar, you know? <laughs> and candy too. I found candy albums on sidewalk bins as well. Go, all right, well, I'll have to buy that. So, um, you know, I'm not going to leave any one of them behind, but uh, I was actually just going through some boxes this morning looking for some stuff to send somebody because Shane asked me if I had a, a Loveless CD. And I go, you don't have one? He goes, no, I, I gave the last one I had away to a friend. I'm like, I got you. So I, I found a Loveless CD for him. Um, I have like maybe, I don't know, I might have like maybe 10 Angels albums and 10 Candy albums or something like that. That's kind of it. So, you know, sometimes yeah. I give them away to somebody's nice and they ask for it. I go, all right, I'll, I'll hook you up. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm really proud of my record. It took me so long to get it. <laughs> um, there's, there's a Japanese version of it too. Um, you know, we never got to get to Japan, although we were popular in Japan, candy as well. And I actually just got a candy, a Japanese candy album off eBay for like $20 which is in, insane. It, it looks brand new, like it was never touched. So I never had a Japanese version of the Candy album before. Um, so that was kind of a nice little score. Um, but uh, yeah, there's some out there and sometimes they're, they're a lot and sometimes they're, uh, I, Loveless CDs are hard to find. Those are, those are hard to find, so. Yeah. And there's not there's not very many of them um so whatever one you find sometimes people are asking for a lot of money for them but uh, i think it's i think it's on itunes i think you can download it i think i'm not sure but i don't know if i have to look that up i don't know to be honest i like that album it was it yeah. was kind of like it was kind of like we were it was kind of like candy 10 years later the songs are still about like heartache and breaking up and growing up and being disillusioned and stuff like that. And for some, for some reason at the time that we made it and how long we had been banging around in clubs, trying to get somewhere, the Loveless album really sounds like, it really sounds like how we felt at the time. So I, I, I actually have a really good place in my heart for that album. You know, I think it was good. I think the songs were good. Some of them were Electric Angel songs, Leftovers. But um, I just think the people that made that album at the time that we made it, it just sounds like we, we had been living in these songs for a very long time. So they came off to me very, very true, very real, you know? Yeah. So it's good, it's good. Well, John, thank you for, um, for sharing all those stories with us. It's yes. really cool to hear. I got stories and I have, uh, if you've ever seen the, have you ever seen the Electric Angels Facebook page? Yeah. Okay, I'm that, that's me. Um, I have all the flyers, all the magazine clippings. I got all this stuff that I've been carting around with me my whole life. And it's sometimes just like, I really just want to throw it all away. And then I go, <laughs> you know what? If I put a picture online or something like that, somebody's going to be like really excited about it. So. 
I can never bring myself to throw it all away. I sort of just want to like let it all go. But then I go, I uh, just hold on to it someday, you know? So yeah, I, I have all this, I'm the, I'm the band historian. So I've kept all <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's, it's great for us to hear those stories. They're so interesting and so nice yes. to hear. Really, well, so I, thank you. I appreciate you reaching out to me. I'm, I'm flattered that anybody wants to hear the stories, so. <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> where, am I, uh, where am I talking to you at? We're in Germany. Oh, okay. What's, what city? Um, well, <laughs> <laughs> Munich's like 200 kilometers. That's like a city people could know. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I mean, you know, my last name is Schubert. My 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 family comes from Hamburg, so um, yeah. Uh, my uh, my brother my brother has met our distant relatives in uh, Hamburg uh, a number of times. I and mean, my my youngest brother he he lived in Germany for um, ten years, studying music there and uh, playing music. Uh, he lived in uh, Heidelberg for a while, then he lived in Stuttgart. Um, uh, our family goes back to Hamburg, but um, I'm a gigantically huge fan of craft work. So um, I someday I'd like to see Dusseldorf just to just to stand in the same city as craft work. I mean, I absolutely adore yeah. craft work, which is which is, again, one of those strange things about our band. We all have all these weird musical tastes, but I absolutely adore craft work. So and have for 45 years. So um Uh, that's my German connection right there. So. Yeah, but that's the other side of Germany. We're in the south. Oh, you're in the south. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. but we live in a really small village, so nobody yeah. knows the name. <laughs> like Munich, oh. usually people know Munich. <laughs> so we say, yeah, kind you of gotta, near Munich. <laughs> you got to get out there, play your music and uh, work that logo, man. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> we will do that. <laughs> If you want a shirt, hit us up. <laughs> okay, well, thank you. So I have a beautiful day here in uh, Northern California and uh, it's still only 11 a.m. So uh, I don't know what I'm going to go do, but it's, it's, it's beautiful here. So I'm going to go out and have a nice sunny day. I hope you have a, have a nice evening. Yeah, yeah have a great you. day. And okay. thank you again. Thank you. My yeah. pleasure. Bye. Bye. Bye.